O Lord, our God, in holy baptism you have called us to be Christians and granted us the remission of sins. Make us ready to receive the most holy body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And grant us grateful hearts that we may give thanks to you, O Father, to your Son, and to the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, so a couple, uh, well, one housekeeping thing is that this is our uh, only Lutheranism 101 on, and we're starting a new topic, but we won't, we won't pick it back up until Easter. So we have Ash Wednesday next Wednesday, followed by, I think, five Lenten midweeks this year. So, um, and then we'll have... uh, Easter, or then we'll have a Holy Week uh, where, where we won't meet. Um, and then. So you may have to do this one over again. April 12th. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And normally, after we get done with a long thing like that, then I normally want to take a week off. So. Um, so, yeah, probably April April 19th, yeah. Something like that. So you may have to do this one over because you might. Maybe. So, so what we're going to do is. So, yeah, that that leads me into what we're discussing, which um, we're just going to give a kind of a brief overview of the um, or an introduction to the. We're just going to start and to the Lord's Supper, and uh, we'll we'll we won't cover like a lot of very um, deep theology or controversial stuff or practical stuff that people are really interested in. Um, we're just going to get just start with kind of the meat of it and and see what uh i think i think it'll be pretty pretty simple straightforward things that we're going to talk about tonight so hopefully we won't have to do too much of it again but um but just by way of introduction the uh this is the final chapter if you're kind of following along in the book this is the final chapter in the means of grace section uh or the section of this big section of the book that we're in and um if if you recall and I've already kind of given this introduction a couple of times now for the means of grace, but we started out with the book with some very basic outlines of Christianity. Who is God? What is sin? Who is Jesus? Kind of three articles of the creed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, uh, sin and redemption, that type of stuff. And we kind of just got the very basic, like major parts of if if we're uh, if Lutheranism 101 is a car, which is the analogy I've kind of been using to introduce the big sections. Um, we just kind of talked about like the body, the engine, uh, fuel, like very basics of of the car. Then we started to d- dive into um, things that are really important, but uh, are a little bit more complicated. So, um, how does the engine connect to the transmission? And um, we talked about things in that section, like uh, how does faith work, and what does conversion to Christianity look like, and and things like that that are a little more complicated. Not necessarily um, the basic outlines of Christianity, but still important, nonetheless. And now we're talking about what I've been calling the engine of, of Lutheranism, which is a big focus on kind of the gospel itself, but especially how does that gospel come to us? What drives this, this car of Lutheranism? What's the most um, important or, or kind of big? How, does this, how do the pistons actually fire? Um, and that's the section on the means of grace. So... How does God's grace, one for us on the cross, uh, come to us in Christ's church today? And we talked about baptism, and we talked about uh, well, we talked about the Bible, we talked about the Word, then we talked about baptism, and uh, the Word both read and preached, baptism, and then confession and absolution, which we finished up. And now we're entering into the Lord's Supper. So that's kind of where we're at. And uh, this is the last part of the means of grace. The next big topic, next big section after we finish the Lord's Supper is worship. And I have yet to think about how that fits into the car analogy. So um, I'll let you know whenever, 
we get there, how it does. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe. There we go. I just have to think about it. Um, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a good one. So, anyhow, um, the Lord's Supper is where we're at, and this is kind of the uh, the final means of grace. And you can kind of see how we went in order of the kind of of the church service. Um, the the word is kind of the foundation, and then we you know baptism, and then and then confession, and then that now the, the Lord's Supper. So we're kind of going in, in the order of the church service, if you will. Um, but the Lord's Supper is where we're at, and we just want to give a very kind of uh, brief introduction to it tonight. Now, before we move on, I think uh, this is where I'll do this. Um, one thing I wanted to do tonight, since we are just introducing the topic, and we're not going to be able to pick it back up until a couple months from now, is if anyone has, and we can come back to this at the end um, if you if you think of things as I'm talking, but if anyone has any kind of burning questions or major topics that they want addressed concerning the Lord's Supper, uh, once we get into it, like I said, it's going to be April till we get back to it, but um, once we get into it, if if anyone has any kind of burning questions that they already want to know about about the Lord's Supper, I know we've had some of these things come up in other topics before. It's like, oh, I really want to know about how that works. Um, then then go ahead and, and, and shout them out or let me know. Um, like I said, we can come out back at the end of the, of the class too. Yeah, Marsha? Closed and close. Okay, close versus closed communion. So yeah, I'm going to write these down and then that way I can um, plan ahead. Um, so close versus closed communion. But uh, any other topics that, that you guys really want covered? What proof is the wine? What proof is the wine? Okay. No, this is good. I mean, that that is a. I mean, I know you kind of mean as a joke, but um, the question of like what is good communion wine versus bad communion wine? Um, that is actually a good question. Yeah. Right. Is grape juice okay or not? Um, that's a good. Yeah. So proper communion. Yeah, Doritos and Mountain Dew? Uh, Probably not. Right, okay. Proof. uh, Grape juice. Is there other fruits that could be substituted? Right. I don't think Mountain Dew has a fruit in it. No, not Mountain Dew. Who actually knows? Well, it used to have grapefruit. Yeah, I have seen apple juice. I have seen seen people do apple juice, which... uh, I don't agree with, but we'll uh, discuss. Uh, unfortunately, they were. <laughs> uh, but you know, whatever. Um, you guys are so nice. Yeah. <laughs> Putting the best construction on things. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good proper communion wine. Um, other questions? What is the Yeah, so, uh, yeah, basically, like, uh, this, uh, yeah, what's, what's the reasoning behind that? That's fine. All right, good. We can do that. All right. Um, any other questions, burning questions? Like I said, if you think of me, let me know, but that way I can kind of plan, like, when, when to plug those things in appropriately. So... Um, instead of taking us big side tangent. All right. Anything else? All right. In that case, uh, let's move on then. So um, I'm going to kind of just start following along with the book here. The the book divides the topic up. Um, it's actually one of the longer sections of the book. Um, we have, I think, let's see here, yeah. 170, 159 to 179, so 20 pages or so on the Lord's Supper, which is good, um, and it covers a, a lot of things. It, it divides it up into three different topics. Uh, one is, or three different 
broader topics. One is given for you, one is dinner with sinners, and one is the Lord's care. Um, and the given for you is kind of definition, what is the Lord's Supper, what's the basic theology of the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to start getting into tonight. Dinner with sinners is um, about be, being worthy and prepared to take communion. And then uh, the Lord's care is um, about the kind of practical things like um, how to receive the Lord's Supper, what, uh, why do we use the vessels we use, for instance, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and uh, talk, talks about uh, like also the community aspect of receiving the Lord's Supper. So um, I think that's a pretty good division. So I think I'm going to stick with it. And that way we can just kind of follow along in the book. But obviously, you know me, I'll be including other things in between. So it does start out with a um, kind of review of what a sacrament is. And we've done this a lot of times, so I won't spend too long on this. But uh, sacrament is uh, something that's instituted by Christ. So in Christ's word, he institutes it for our good. So like um, baptism, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's uh, instituted. Um, and obviously we have the words of institution, which we're going to get to in the Lord's Supper. Uh, it contains a physical element. Um, so baptism contains water. Or We talked about confession and absolution. If you want to consider it a sacrament, um, you would consider the pastor's voice the, the physical element. And uh, can gives the promise of forgiveness of sins. So um, right with baptism, we have that the promise of forgiveness and sins um, all, all, all over the place. Uh, baptism now saves you, First Peter, right? for instance. Um, in the Lord's Supper, in the words of institution, we have that very clearly, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, right? So we have the promise of forgiveness of sins. The physical element, we have bread and wine. Uh, that's what Jesus took on the night when he was betrayed. And then we have the institution by Christ. Uh, the author here points out that sacrament is Latin. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but it's just Latin for sacred rite. Um, you can hear the word sacred in that. Um, and rite, R-I-T-E, well, which means a uh, ceremony done within the church service. right? So a sacrament is just a sacred rite. Um, the Greek word for sacrament, so sometimes if your Bible translates something as sacrament, um, it's connected to the English word also mystery. Uh, so mysterion in Greek. Um, and so Paul says of pastors that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. And that word mystery, uh, I always point out um, just kind of by way of translation issue is that the word mystery in Greek is not something like a mystery novel where we don't know what's going on. The word mystery in Greek is something that has been, it's the mystery solved. It's something that has been revealed. So whenever Christ um, gives us a mystery, it's not something that we like don't, that, that's unknown to us, that we have to, that, that's like a mystery in the sense that we can't find something out. But it's a mystery in the sense that um, we can't fully understand it, but it has been revealed to us. So there is still the sense of like we don't completely understand what's going on. It's beyond our rationality um, it, that it's a mystery, but it's still clear what it is, if that makes sense. And so when Paul says um, pastors are stewards of the mysteries, he's saying pastors, pastors are the stewards of these gifts that God gives to his people that he's revealed to us, that he's instituted for us. In other words, the sacraments. Um, so there is a little bit of a biblical rationale there in 1 Corinthians for the idea of a sacrament, um, even though that word is not directly in the Bible, that we would have this category of these gifts that God has revealed to us, right? So um, that's what a sacrament is. And the author here makes a good point that uh, he says this can be a problem for us sinners that we don't completely understand um, what is going on in the Lord's Supper. In other words, we can't, we can't comprehend it uh, rationally. 
This can be a problem for us centers, especially in a scientific age when we want to explain everything, right? And I think this is a, a very um, good insight that especially – I think this is kind of the nature of humans in general. We've always um, wanted to figure everything out, right? So in falling from – in falling into sin, Adam and Eve, they wanted to become like God, knowing, right, knowing good and evil, Um our sinful nature is to want to be like God in, in our knowledge, right? Not just, not just in our um, actions that determine what's right and wrong, but in our, in our knowledge, um, we've wanted to be like God. And we want to understand everything, right? And I, you know, oftentimes this is a problem that when people kind of have problems in their life, one of their problems is like, I don't know why this is happening to me, right? I want to know... I want to know why this is happening. I want a rational reason. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, when we're making a claim that seems kind of bizarre to rationality, that this bread and wine here on this altar, here in Olive Branch, Mississippi, in the year 2023, is Jesus' very own body and blood, that sounds kind of insane to the world, and we want to be able to explain it somehow, right? And uh, he's so the author here kind of points this out and says this can this can be a problem for us because it it's a mystery we don't understand it we can't explain it away. And um, basically the problems that we're going to run into with the Lord's Supper. So when people try and deny that it's really Jesus' body and blood and say it's just a symbol, or when people try. Um, either the Catholics or the uh, Calvinists will try and kind of explain exactly in what way it's Jesus' body and blood, um, then people run into theological problems that end up going against Scripture. Uh, we can we can over-explain ourselves in, into, into air. And so um, the next point the author makes here is that everything you need to know about the Lord's Supper is contained in the words of institution. And I think that's a really a brilliant point. Um, and I've thought this before. I think whenever I taught on the small catechism when I first got here on Wednesday nights, a really long time ago, it seems like, I mean, it is years ago. It seems like a decade ago. But um, I remember, I specifically remember teaching this, that um, if you want to know what the Lord's Supper is, let's just look at these words of institution, right? That's like the best place you can go because it does contain everything. Um, like the rest of it we'll talk about and it's all good and it's probably more exciting than, um, to our minds at least, than what we're going to talk about in the words of institution. But the words of institution are, really do contain everything we need to know about the Lord's Supper um, as far as its theology goes and, and, and what is the Lord's Supper. All right, so we'll just jump into that in a minute. But um, one other quick thing that I wanted to do, the, the book doesn't bring this up, but I, I do find it necessary because people will get confused by this. Um, but there are different names that the Lord's Supper goes by. So similarly, like baptism, sometimes it's called, you know, washing. Um, confession, we talked about. Sometimes people call it private confession. Sometimes people call it uh, individual confession. Sometimes people just call it absolution, confession, absolution, right? So sometimes there's different names that these things go by. And the Lord's Supper especially has different ways in which it's referred to. And um, I don't think any of them are wrong. I use them interchangeably. Uh, sometimes people use certain ones just to make it sound cooler than, or to make themselves sound cooler than they are, I should say. I mean, the Lord's Supper is pretty cool, so... It can't really be cooler than it is. But um, anyway, let's just uh, talk about some of these. So obviously we have the Lord's Supper, which I think is a great name. Um, the apostrophe S is meant to be uh, to show possession here, right? So it is the Lord's Supper. He owns it. Uh, it's the supper that he instituted, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And this is his supper. It's his body. It's his blood. Um, it's the one he instituted, so I uh, think it is a fantastic name. Um, and that's 
probably the one that I use most often, and it's probably the one that I think your modern LCMS Lutheran uses the most often. For whatever reason, I think it's the most popular um, across, across the board, generally speaking. Obviously, certain pastors use other ones more often. And anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but we have Lord's Supper. The uh, next one is the one that, ironically, is actually in our catechism that barely anyone ever uses, um, which is the sacrament of the altar. And I think it's funny that it's the one that Luther used and the one that's in our catechism, and yet no one... I, I, I pretty much never hear anyone say, unless they're talking about the catechism, say yeah. the sacrament of the altar. But um, this is also like a very explains itself, self-descripting uh, description. It is the sacrament... Okay, so we talked about what a sacrament it is. It's the one on the altar, right? Um, we could call baptism the sacrament of the font. No one has ever said that before. I just made that up right now. But, you know, it's it's funny how these things happen. So that is, it's the sacrament that is on the altar. Yeah. Is, uh, is Eucharist Latin or something? Yeah, so Eucharist is the next one. And uh, Eucharist is Greek. So uh, it is from the, well, it, it's both a noun and a, or it can be a verb, um, from the word, uh, I mean, it is literally just a Greek word, Eucharist. Um, the verb in Greek is Eucharisto, but it means uh, thanksgiving. Um, the verb is to give thanks. So uh, can anyone guess why that's connected to the Lord's Supper? If you, if you think about the words of institution. And when he had given thanks. Yep. So this is uh, why Eucharist is because when you read the words of institution in Greek, this word comes up that Jesus Eucharisted. He gave thanks um, to the Father for, for what he was doing there. And in some ways that's very nice um, because there is this notion that whenever we do celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, obviously Jesus is present, uh, but there is a communication that is happening between God the Son, Jesus Christ, and uh, our Father in heaven. Um, So Hebrews says that the blood of Jesus cries out a better word than the the blood of Abel. so when, when Cain slew Abel, that blood cried out to God um, for justice, right? But Jesus' blood cries out to the Father for forgiveness, uh, for a payment for sin. And so that thanksgiving to God, that, that Jesus crying out to his Father, um, is still happening in the Lord's Supper today. And it is a... Um, it is a meal of Thanksgiving. It's a it's a Thanksgiving meal, and I, I kind of love the play on words that you can do with this um, at Thanksgiving in America. That we we have this thank, we have this Thanksgiving dinner every week, right? Um, that's that's the best Thanksgiving dinner you could ever imagine. Um, and and there is this aspect of fellowship, and uh, like we have in our Thanksgiving dinners, there's this aspect of fellowship and this aspect of uh, giving thanks to God for this gift that he's given us um, and and everything. So uh, Eucharist is pretty popular with Roman Catholics and with Eastern Orthodox. Um, they really like that term, so the Eucharist. Uh, and I've heard a lot more Lutherans pick it up in recent years. So um, if you read like books published by Lutherans, they might, they might call it the Eucharist. Um, anyway, it's fine. I like it. I have no problems with it. It's all good. Um, like I said, I don't really have any problems with any of them. Um, but we have the Lord's Supper, Sacrament of the Altar, Eucharist, um, communion? communion. Thank you. That's the other big one. Yeah, that's probably the second most popular to Lord's Supper, or potentially most popular, um, probably outside of the LCMS, probably in most circles, communion is um, the, the most popular. And this one's nice because, um, so to commune, um, 
and that kind of becomes a very that I think that's probably the most standard verb for what you're doing uh, to commune, right? So I'm going to commune today. I'm not going to commune today. Um, or, or I guess people say take the Lord's Supper. People say that too, um, or receive the Lord's Supper. But communion is nice because communion um, is another word for fellowship, right? And there's uh, two sides to fellowship in the Lord's Supper. We have the uh, the vertical relation communion in the Lord's Supper, which is that we're um, communing with God, and we're communing of God's uh, of Christ's body and blood of God's body and blood, and then there's also the horizontal communion, uh, the fellowship with our fellow uh, believers um, that we're at the table with. And um, in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, he uh, so the Greek word for communion, uh, you've probably heard it before, is uh, koinonia. You've heard that before, koinonia. So... Paul makes a play on words with koinonia in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, when he says that the bread that we break, is it not a koinonia with the body of Christ? And he just got done talking about the body of Christ as the fellowship of believers. Um, but then he makes it clear he's also talking about the real presence in the Lord's Supper when he says, and and then he goes on, is the, the cup that we bless not a koinonia or a communion with the blood of Christ? And so he's simultaneously saying um, when we take of the body and blood together, when we do communion, when we have the Lord's Supper, it is both um, sharing in Jesus' body and blood. It's that it's the real presence of, of Jesus' body and blood here in the bread and wine, but it's also a koinonia with one another, right, um, who, who share in the, the one cup and partake of the one body, and our one body, the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. Um, uh, you are what you eat, you know, he's saying, right? You're the body of Christ. And so it's this wonderful kind of play on words with this word communion or koinonia, or fellow, also in English, fellowship. Um, I think that's normally how it's translated in 1 Corinthians 11, is a fellowship um, with the uh, body of Christ. So anyway... Um, so communion is great too because you have that whole reference in 1 Corinthians 11 and you have that idea of um, fellowship implicit in there as well. So that's great. Anyway, uh, those are the words for the Lord's Supper. Any any others? I don't, I don't think I know. Yeah, the Last Supper is specifically historical um, that that was like the supper that Christ and his disciples were at. Um, so, uh, I, I suppose people do refer to doing communion like today as, uh, a celebration of the last supper in some sense. Um, but maybe that's, that might also be where the Lord's supper comes in some too, as it's kind of continuing that idea of okay, that was the last supper and now this is the Lord's supper. So yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. Gary. I used to like it when we, we would call, I think, I don't know if I've asked you this, when we would call the night before, and the pastor would give us a passage to... Oh, yeah, I've I've uh, never heard of that, um, but that's obviously connected to announcing for communion, yeah. which is an old project, yeah, where you had to announce that you were going to commune, and the way this does carry on today, even though, like, members don't normally announce anymore... Um, oftentimes visitors will announce. So they will email me and say, actually, I had a lady um, email me like a couple weeks ago to announce for communion in April. So I'm like, you're diligent. Like this, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, but you know, this is, yeah, no, this is good. So no, I, that's good. Uh, she seemed very nice. Um, but yeah, we got, uh, visitors will announce for communion, and that's good. And that's connected to what we talked about in confession absolution as well. That it used to be that to remain in good communicate standing in the church, that people would come to private confession absolution like four times a year as part of their announcing for communion. That they continue, they want to continue to be faithful members of the church and 
um, that they're still repentant sinners and that they want to keep receiving communion and everything. So um, we don't still we don't do that anymore for a variety of historical reasons mainly. But yeah, Marsha. The last supper, that's the blueprint for how we do communion now. Yeah, what Jesus institutes at the Last Supper. Yeah, I would be clear that it's not um, the Last Supper in general, but it is what Jesus institutes at the Last Supper. Because they celebrated the entire Passover at the Last Supper. Um, But we don't celebrate the entire um, Passover meal at the Last Supper, or at the Lord's Supper today, um, because that's not what Jesus instituted for the New Testament church. He just instituted the Lord's Supper. So, yeah, so actually that um, one thing I'm going to write down for future is uh, Seder meals because that's a, that's a hot topic. Should be. Right. I've heard that. Yeah, so. Um, that, Does it matter if you use the chalice or we take the cup? Is it a difference? Yeah, chalice versus cups. We'll talk about that. That's oh, good. I just thought that was a... <laughs> so, um... You got your homework for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so like how um, like it connects with like uh, kind of the church, yeah, all saints, church triumphant. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's good. We can talk about all these things. Yeah, so uh, that's good. All right, got more things on my list. Um, no, it's it's good. I mean, I want to talk about what you want to talk about. I, you know, if it were up to me, I would talk about the Calvinist doctrine of the Lord's Supper because I find it fascinating. But I mean, no one, you know, no one really wants to hear that. So, okay. <laughs> We can talk about it. I can't mind. Um, I read I read a book on it recently. Um, okay, so I think that's all the names. All right, so so let's get back to the words of institution. Um, so like the Lord's Supper itself, the words of institution also have uh, developed a number of names that they go by. So oftentimes, actually in the bulletin, it'll just say the words of our Lord, the words of our Lord. And um, in Latin, that's uh, verba domini. But uh, sometimes you'll just hear it referred to as verba. So the verba is the words of institution, the words, right? Um, Because in some ways, these are some of the most important words ever spoken, right? These are the words of our Lord, uh, the words of institution of of the his last will and testament that he left us. So that's where you say you take the bread or... The words of institution is... Um, so if you look at page 160, if you have a book, if mm-hmm. um, it is... It's the top two paragraphs um, of page 160, beginning, Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed oh, yeah. and ending... Um, this do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So mm-hmm. it's the ones that whenever in the service I chant, I chant them like slow and low, mm-hmm. if that if that helps. Um, which we'll just talk about that for a minute. So one of the things we want to definitely talk about is our practice of the Lord's Supper, right? Not just um, the theology of it, but our practice of it. And uh, why, if, you know, you're, your common Baptist walked in off the street and they saw us doing the Lord's Supper, they'd be like, they take this really seriously. <laughs> um, and that is because we do take it seriously because it is, uh, again, the the last will and testament of Jesus Christ himself that his church would, would do this. And um, the words of institution are the most important words that are um, said during the the Lord's Supper, because those are the words that Jesus instituted um, to get to make this bread and wine, not just bread and wine anymore, but also his body and blood. And so um, when I, one, uh, one thing to just kind of note is I, I just said I chant them low and slow. So if you um, kind of uh, next, next Sunday, uh, this Sunday, whenever you're at church, 
and we're doing the Lord's Supper, pay attention uh, to to the difference kind of between the words of institution and everything else, right? So the the notes go lower, um, especially so at the at the. It, there's even a difference between the kind of historical introduction. So our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, and then the words in red, so to speak, Jesus' words, um, are the ones that are low and slow, right? Um, uh, Take, eat, this is my body, and I'll say those, I'll chant those slower, and they're like a lower octave. Um, And that is, the reason for that is so that everyone can hear them very clearly. You drop down. And mm-hmm. I thought maybe it was my imagination, but when you say body, it goes low. Mm-hmm. That's, uh-huh. Yeah, it's I mean, to be super clear. Said, but that is like, like if everything else were just written, that would have been in bold. Yeah, right. It's yeah, it is to kind of verbally bold those words. Listening. Oh, that's good. I don't, I know you're listening. No, <laughs> they're Jesus words. They're not mine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I like the way Annette said that is to verbally bold those words. Um, and that the reason is to be just very clear with what's happening, that um, there is something different and special happening here. And uh, same thing like with the way I set up communion and, the, and when I am up there, like only the elder ever really sees this. But um, with my my hands, I will make sure that I am indicating what thing I am doing at that time and which things are consecrated and which things are not. Yeah, Steve? I was going to say, one Easter, I actually videoed you doing that so I could show everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we do have that. Um, I made a, a marketing picture for that. Um, it's not a picture, it's a video. Yeah, I took a screenshot of it one time, yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot we had that. So there's a, I think it's on YouTube or whatever whatever service that is. Right here on the bulletin, the words of our Lord, it's, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke, Paul said it, Mark yeah. said it. Great, so this is, uh, that's what I wanted to get to next. Um, so we have the verba, we have the words of our Lord, so we're kind of talking about this. And um, one thing to yeah notice is that it's recorded in multiple accounts. And uh, it's recorded Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. And it's, so... First thing you might notice is it's not John, right? You'd think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but it's actually not in John, which is kind of funny just because John talks around the Lord's Supper more than anyone else, right? Matthew doesn't, you know, Matthew and Mark, Mark especially, um, doesn't bring up a lot about the Lord's Supper other than just when it happens. But John is constantly talking about bread all the time. Um, he's talking about bread. So like John 6, it, he has an entire, when he do, feeds the 5,000, um, there's a whole bread of life discourse. And he says things that sound very um, interesting about the, like in connection with the Lord's Supper. So he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, right? And it's like, whoa, what's he talking about there? Because like the Lord's Supper hasn't happened yet. And um, there's a big debate about whether or not that's sacramental um, if it's referring to the Lord's Supper. And my take on it is this. So I'm, for the record, I'm disagreeing with Luther here, so whatever that means to you. Um, Luther thought that they, when Jesus talked in John 6 about and said those things, he was not talking about the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper had not been instituted yet. And he said that primarily, I think, because... The Roman Catholics use that as a proof text for transubstantiation, which I can talk about later, and um, also because the Calvinists use that as a proof text for um, their understanding of spiritual eating and spiritual drinking, which he was also fighting against. And so basically, the two people, the two camps he was debating on the Lord's Supper relied on John 6, and he just said, well, John 6 isn't even about the sacrament, so forget it. Um, so that was kind of Luther. But that, setting that aside, um, I think that John 6 is sacramental um, 
in the sense that it is looking forward to it when Jesus says it, and that it is um, in line with everything we believe about the Lord's Supper. There's nothing that's kind of different than what we would believe what we believe about the Lord's Supper. Um, if you if you apply it to that. I would say it's not sacramental. It depends on what you mean by sacramental. I'd say it's not sacramental in the sense that at the time that Jesus said that, the Lord's Supper had not been instituted yet. And so in that sense, it's obviously a foreshadowing. It is not um, directly referenced to it. So anyway, that doesn't really it doesn't really matter. Um, I So this is kind of funny. I was actually just talking to another pastor at the Board of National Mission about what's, what passages are sacramental and which ones aren't. Because there's also like um, debate about Luke 24 whenever Jesus is on the road with the Emmaus disciples and uh, he breaks bread with them. And the question is, was he celebrating the Lord's Supper or not? And, uh, you know, I kind of think he was. I mean, it's not exactly clear. Um, but I, there was one pastor that, that I was talking to that said, I don't think it is. And then this, and another pastor was like, what are you talking about? And I was like... I, anyway, so then I was talking to this one guy af- afterwards, and uh, he said, man, leave it to Lutherans to put the mental in sacramental. <laughs> thought that was pretty good. thought that was a good one. So, um, so anyway. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, right. Uh, it's always good when you can make fun of yourself, you know. So, anyway, the... There are these. Uh, so John, John is inter- my point is John is funny because John talks about bread all the time and then never records the words of institution. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the words of institution. Um, also funny about John is like he records more about the upper room than anyone else. So from chapters 12 to 17, yeah, 12 to 16. 17 is the high priestly prayer. 18 is when you find out he's in the garden. Uh, For like four chapters, he's discussing the upper room. It's the upper room discourse. And he's washing the disciples' feet, and he's teaching them all this stuff, and he's talking about love and all this, but then he never actually says about the supper. So So was John actually there? Yeah, John was there. Yeah, He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, Actually, it records him reclining at Jesus' breast at the Last Supper in um, Matthew, I believe. Yeah, so. Um, anyway, so it's very interesting that John kind of talks all around the uh, the Lord's Supper and then never actually says the words of institution. But um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in 1 Corinthians 11, they do slightly differ. Um, I think that it is... Fair to say, okay, first of all, these are words of Scripture. They're inerrant. They're inspired. And so anything that's recorded that they say that that Jesus said, Jesus obviously said. um, But each gospel writer and Paul has a little bit different purpose in their writing. And so they um, don't record absolutely every single word that Jesus says. Um, But obviously these words are what Jesus wanted us to have. For the words of institution, and so I really like what our hymnals do. Um, and this is a very long Christian practice of basically combining them all into one set of words from the different. Um, and they're they're really not that different if you go and look at each account of what the words of institution are. They're very very similar. Just some add certain things and not others. Yeah. Well, like if you were in court, you wouldn't want every witness to say exactly the same. Right. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Right, but they do all match. They all do cohere in a certain way. Um, we, we kind of do the same thing with the uh, Lord's Prayer to the degree, right? We have the shorter and then we have the longer. Yeah, I mean, right. So, yeah, yeah the, uh, the Gospels are all a little bit, in the things that they record that are the same, they record different details. So, um, And it's kind of according to the theme of that Gospel or the maybe the audience of who that gospel writer is writing to, right? The, the things they emphasize. So, um, well, their occupation would have something to do with it. Matthew yeah. Matthew was a text. Sure. Yeah, right. Who so Matthew was, was as a person. Very yeah, very so they, the, God uses these individuals to give their own accounts that are very human in a sense, but they're also inspired. So, um, so anyway, like what you have there, 
um, and what I say on Sunday and what we've used for a really long time is um, basically a combination of all those, a uh, synopsis of all those um, accounts put together there. So um, that's just worth noting um, if anyone ever, you know, ask about that. Why is there four different things and what do they say and um, everything? But uh, it's you get a good insight into this too in 1 Corinthians 11 because Paul starts out before he says the words of institution, he says, I'm passing on to you what I received. And so he's saying like, this is what we were taught to do. Like this is what I was given to say when I celebrate the Lord's Supper. Here's the words that we use. Um, So uh, that's a good kind of insight there in 1 Corinthians 11 as well. Um, that would be like verse 22, I guess. So, all right. Um, we got about 10 minutes left. Okay, so yeah, that that's a sacrament, uh, words of institution, names for the Lord's Supper. Okay, so let's start unpacking. Uh, I actually was going to say that, even though I just realized it says, let's start unpacking um, here in the book. But that's where I'm at, and that's what we're going to do. Let's start unpacking the words of institution some. Um so first of all, let's kind of start with this historical context of the Passover. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. Well, why is he what – what's the night that he was betrayed historically, and why is he taking bread? Why are they together? Well, they're, we know from the Gospels they're there celebrating the Passover meal. And um, what is the Passover? Okay, what's, someone tell me. What's the Passover? That's where uh, back in the old – Right. Okay. So God institutes the Passover back at the um, time when Israel was enslaved to Egypt, mm-hmm. and they're going to cross the Red Sea. And before they leave Egypt, uh, God institutes this Passover meal, where they yeah they mark their um, doorways, doorways with with blood, uh, so that the when the angel of death comes through for the final. Um, uh, punishment of Pharaoh, uh, the final curse of Pharaoh, which for his disobedience, which was to slay the firstborn of of all in Egypt, um, that the the angel of death would pass pass over their houses, right? And so we have first of all this theme of um, being saved from death and crossing over into life, and same with the Red Sea too, right? Which is all kind of one story where the Lord is going to save his people from from death uh, into life. This is the passing over from death into life. And from from sure death over in, over into life. And um, we also have here, okay, so what's the Passover meal consist of? Uh, the Passover meal consists uh, mainly of this lamb, right? This uh the one, a pure lamb, right? So a lamb that's unblemished in some way, uh, a spotless lamb that's going to serve as a sacrifice uh, for sin. Um, it's going to serve the the shedding of this blood is going to serve as the means by which this crossing over from death to life is achieved. So the Israelites are going to sacrifice a lamb uh, to God. And uh, that blood is going to be spread on the door, and that uh, sacrifice is going to be an atonement for their sin, right? So atonement, um, atonement is actually an English word, but I like its etymology, at-one-ment. That you, atonement is how you become one with God, right? Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, they became separated from God. They need to be one with God again. The way to become one with God again is by atonement. And how atonement works is by sacrifice, right? And we already talked about the sacrifice of, of the lamb. Well, what is inherent in sacrifice? It's um, blood or life blood, right? Um, the blood is the life of something, right? When blood is flowing, you have life. And... What is the punishment for sin? What what does sin cause? When you eat of this apple, you will die, right? Or you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die, right? We don't know if it's an apple or not, but everyone thinks it's an apple. 
that's the that's the picture in the kids' books. So we all think it's an apple. Right? Whatever fruit it was. Yeah, who knows? Um, if you eat of the fruit tree, you will surely die, right? So um, we have this contrast of life and death. How do you pay for uh, how how do you pay for a sin then? If the consequence of sin is death, you pay for it with the death of something else. You pay for it with lifeblood, right? And so that's what a sacrifice is. And the unblemished lamb is because this is an innocent life that must pay for death, right? Well, when we come, um, so so of course we know as we kind of fast forward through the Old Testament and fast forward into the coming of the Messiah and then of course all the promises in the Old Testament that the sacrifices in the Old Testament, including this Passover sacrifice, is to foreshadow the coming of the perfect sacrifice, right? Because there's no way that um, we could sacrifice an unblemished lamb or some kind of sacrifice for every single sin that we possibly commit, right? Um, Fallen into sin, we commit way more sins than the sacrificial system of the Old Testament could handle, right? But God instituted the sacrificial system for uh, the foreshadowing of his promises of grace that he was going to fulfill in the Messiah. And Hebrews makes this all very abundantly clear. But the reason I'm kind of giving this background is because this is all inherent, 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 inherent. Um, I was trying to say inherit and inerrant and inherent all at the same time. Um, in the verba, in the words of the Lord's Supper, in the words of institution. Because what does it say? It says, Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Right? And so, okay, what's the night he was betrayed? And why is he taking bread? It's to celebrate this Passover meal. And it's not a coincidence, right? This is kind of the point, is that when Jesus celebrates the Passover meal as the Messiah, as the perfect Lamb of God, whose sacrifice is going to take away the sin of the world, um, as the the one true sacrificial atonement for all sins in all time, giving his lifeblood. This this whole theology of the Passover, um, that we're going to pass from death to life in this moment, that that's not a coincidence that Jesus is doing that at that moment, right? Um, and especially when you consider how the um, Old Testament Christians considered the Passover, and this this is already fast forwarding a little bit into remembrance of me, but the uh, if you read like the Psalms, for instance, and when they talk about the Passover, even though this the salt the psalmist who who write this when David's talking about this, for instance, um, it's something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and yet they talk about it as if they're actively participating in it. And for the Israelites to celebrate the Passover meal year after year after year after year, um was to participate in this salvific event when God brought his people with his mighty arm out of death and into life, when he saved them from Pharaoh, uh, when he saved, when he atoned for his people, when he made a sacrifice for them. To celebrate that Passover meal is to continue to actively participate in that reality. And so um, when Jesus comes and he celebrates this meal. Uh, this is an active participation in all of this death to life atonement sacrifice blood stuff, right? And when he says these key words like, this is the New Testament, and this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, and do this in remembrance of me, you can, if you have this background of the Passover, it's pretty clear what's happening. That it's not just, um, and this is where I think this, the, the whole idea of, oh, it's just a symbol, really falls apart. Um, I, I actually love the passage, do this in remembrance of me, because, or the, the words do this in remembrance of me. Because one, he's saying, do it, right? Actually do it. Like We kind of forget that part. Like We're supposed to do this. Um, and two, the remembrance is not just like, oh, I remembered where I left my phone. 
because um, I had set it down somewhere and I had forgotten. It's not like remembering something we forgot. Remembrance in the context of the Passover is participation. It's a, it's a family tradition that, that is very, very meaningful and very, very real. And so uh, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, um, he's saying, do this new celebration, this new pass. This is a new Passover meal, right? And um, I'll go ahead and kind of throw this out there just for your thought. But um, with the Seder meal, so the reason I, first of all, I'll say, like, there's not any sin in celebrating a Seder meal. I don't think it really matters. Um, but with that Seder meal idea, um, it's very weird in the sense that you would go, um, if you're just kind of like learning about the history of it, I guess it's fine. But Jesus did away with the old Passover meal and instituted a new Passover meal. And so for Christians to go and try and celebrate the old Passover meal, I just find it a little like, why would you do that? Because we have the new Passover. We have the New Testament. We have the Lord's Supper. Um, and so uh, it's kind of like, in my opinion, just random and a little bit pointless to do a Seder meal. Also because the uh, the Seder meals are like, um, that even that term Seder meal is actually relatively new. Um, it does try and take some of the texts of the Old Testament and say like this is what a Passover meal would have looked like or whatever. Um, but most of the time we're we're kind of guessing anyway. Um, and uh, I eat lamb on Easter for dinner every year, which is really good. But uh, I don't think we need to try and like redo the Passover meal just because that's the that's the old. And we have the new, right? We have the we have the words of our Lord. So um, nothing against doing a Seder meal, like as far as is it right, is it wrong? But um, I'm not going to do it because I don't see the I don't really see the point in it, um, if that makes sense. So anyway, that's my thoughts on Seder meals. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, the experience I had at a Passover meal that we had here. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, every element that he picked up, it did refer to the New Testament, like like the, the it was more like a learning experience. The, uh, yeah. Different things. Yeah. yeah. He, he would would show how that was just like in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. So that's like it's fine. Um, yeah, I just don't. I still don't like really get it. Uh, just because, again, like we. That I guess I guess to me what's we odd about it is that it's almost like it's trying to make the Lord's Supper more special, and I think the Lord's Supper is already like the most special thing that you could do, right? If that makes sense. So I again like I don't have any problem with it, and if and if you get like a good learning experience out of it, like that's fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's almost something I would do like if I were to do it, I would do it like at like a men's group or something, you know, as like or like a Bible study scenario. Um, the because I've seen, I guess one one other thing I would say is I think it could be done okay in that scenario, but um, if you put it in a worship service and I've seen churches do this, they go like kind of crazy with it, you know, and they make it like this big, yeah, like a big thing where it's like. Uh, um, like you're, you're, it's like, we're going to be like more, uh, I don't know, like more again, like making it like this more special like thing than like actually just celebrating the Lord's supper. So now one of the things they yeah. did at that, at this particular Lord's supper, they went into detail about because how long it is, it's drawn out. Yeah, that's true. They would hide presents in, so the kids, there's a certain part where they would send the kids to, to do something, to keep them interested. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, well, it's true. The, lo- the the first Passover was long, and um, from what we know from Second Temple Judaism in those documents, uh, there were like both, there were like five cups, I think, um, that were passed around, and there was like a big order to things and everything. Um, but that that's another thing about it is like it's it's actually pretty hard to know exactly what they were doing. 
um, because the documentation is not – I mean we have what they did in the Old Testament, like the very first Passover meal, but traditions developed over time, and uh, what those traditions were are not always exactly clear. So um, that's something else to kind of consider about that. But Yeah, so so anyway, that um, that's kind of a side danger, but I, I thought I'd just throw it in there because it actually fits – here when we're talking about the Passover. So I can cross that one off my list. Um, but yeah, the, pa- the background of the Passover I think is very incredibly important because it makes things very clear about what's happening um, with this whole idea of death and life and atonement and sacrifice and lifeblood and everything. So uh, anyway, that's time. Any uh, final questions or thoughts? We'll jump back into the... Um, we'll kind of skip the, we'll skip the introductory stuff next time. We won't talk about the names for communion and all that. We'll just dive back into the words of institution next time we meet. I think that'll be good. So, And I got my list of, of things to fit in. All right. Any other questions, thoughts, comments, concerns? If you uh, think of anything else you want me to add to my list here, um, shoot me an email or a text or call me or whatever, and we'll, we'll get it done. We got like six or seven weeks or something so um, for you to think of questions. All right. What's that? Okay. Well, hopefully some of it should just be covered in the material as well. So, All right, let's uh, end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the wonderful gift you have given us in the Lord's Supper and Holy Communion. We pray that you would uh, continue to help us to keep uh, this gift in our church, help us to keep it faithfully, uh, help us and all who receive your son's body and blood, uh, to receive it to their benefit for the forgiveness of their sins and uh, not unworthily or to their harm. We pray that uh, you would strengthen our faith in you always, keep us under your mighty protection, and redeem us with your mighty right arm. We pray this all through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.